Hi, this is Malia Cromer, director of the Goucher College Poll, and you're listening to the Conduit Street Podcast, a source of news and notes on Maryland politics and policy viewed favorably by an overwhelming majority of Marylanders. Hello and welcome to the Conduit Street Podcast. Kevin Canale here with Michael Sanderson here on Thursday, May 13th. Michael, we're recording remotely today. How's it going in your neck of the woods? Um, things basically good here and I'm happy that even though this is a remote recording, it's out of convenience rather than caution. So that feels pretty good. I don't really feel like I have any reservations about being in downtown Annapolis on Conduit Street. I just I uh, had some things that lend themselves to working from home today and feel kind of cool doing it. Anyway, all good here. How about with you? Doing very well. And yes, we are excited. The governor this week announced that most of the restrictions will be lifted. All of the restrictions will still have a mask mandate. And we're going to talk about that. And we're going to talk about vaccine hesitancy and why it may be difficult to get to the benchmark set by the governor to relieve us of the mask mandate. And to do that, we have nobody better to understand the public opinion and how it corresponds with these issues than Dr. Malia Cromer. Dr. Cromer is a friend of the podcast. She has been on before. She is an associate professor and director of the Sarah T. Hughes Field Politics Center at Goucher College. Dr. Cromer, thank you so much for being with us today. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. So I guess we need to open, of course, with the Goucher poll. Dr. Cromer, we haven't talked with you since your last poll. Talk a little bit about the poll and some interesting takeaways that you and your colleagues at Goucher found from the latest public opinion poll for Marylanders. Sure. So um, I, I think the most important takeaway of our last poll, now keep in mind, it feels like it was a lifetime ago. So we released that poll. Um, it was taken in the end of February. So we released it, the, I think, the first week of March. But it had a, in it had a really important finding. Um, we were really interested in teasing out um, who, wanted, who wanted to get the vaccine, who was hesitant to get the vaccine, and how the, that attitude fell along sort of demographic lines. And so a, um, a historic caveat of sort of vaccine hesitancy is that typically communi- communities of color, um, specifically African-Americans, uh, typically have higher vaccine hesitancy rates. Now, we saw that. Um, slightly elevated on our October poll, and some uh, polls taken early on in the fall and through the summer, you know, suggested that might be the case again. But what was really interesting, um, and on our poll in what we released in March, is that the difference between white Marylanders and Black Marylanders was effectively non-existent. So that vaccine hesitancy rate um, was closed uh, among Black Marylanders, and it just becomes a really, really important finding. Because um, once you identify that it's not hesitancy, and then you look at the vaccination rates at the time and notice the huge disparity between um, white and black Marylanders in terms of the folks who are getting the vaccine, um, it suggests, again, not hesitancy, but accessibility. Mm-hmm. And that becomes, I think, really important things that pollsters, not just obviously me here in Maryland, but nationwide pollsters, particularly the Kaiser Family Foundation, have been looking at this and teasing it down and really trying to identify like who among us wants the vaccine and who doesn't. And there are serious public health uh, implications for both of those numbers. So I find that really interesting. And to me, it's, it's sort of an illustration of the role of public opinion polling 
as being more important than just, oh, you know, I'm running a campaign for a candidate and I want to know where the candidate stands among the prospective voters. I mean, everybody, I think intuitively, probably every Conduit Street podcast listener intuitively understands that kind of, I don't know, sometimes we call it horse race polling, Mm -hmm. who's ahead in a race, or is this ballot question likely to pass, or things of that nature, which they have a place in in politics and so forth. But this, this, to me, feels different, that this is an opportunity for policymakers to shape policy maybe differently based on what they're hearing about Marylanders' thoughts. And you know, back back in in February and March, we were we collectively the whole Maryland decision making apparatus. Everybody was very focused on what do we do to what kind of communities do we need to reach with the vaccines as we have limited supply and so forth, and we're getting them to people who are in you know uh, retirement facilities, been working on our essential workers, and then expanding out from there. The idea of hesitancy and where it exists should be a pretty important part of making those decisions. You're you're doing more than just informing those of us who watch horse races, right? Yeah. And so I think polls, especially like, you know, people like me who um, who do like what we call public polls. So, you know, polls primarily used for public consumption that everybody, you know, we, we show everybody the results versus sort of the private internal polls mm-hmm. that only get to be seen by the insiders. Uh, so, you know, most people, when we put out a results, the things that people really want to focus on are the horse race and they care about the approval ratings, but um, it really does demonstrate so how important having an accurate gauge of public sentiment and attitudes is for the policymaking process. So, I, you know, oftentimes you'll see people criticize polls, like, oh, you shouldn't be governing by the polls. You, should, uh, you shouldn't be relying on the polls to mm-hmm. pick your position. And, and uh, listen, I think there's a lot of valid criticism there, although I have always argued that at, at least to some extent, government needs to represent the will of the people. We need to be accurately fr- reflecting that. But in terms of a public health issue like this, the ability to say that no, um, it's actually not um, African Americans who are hesitant, or to say, wow, our public health experts to try to, to relieve vaccine hesitancy among African Americans have really worked. I mean, I have to give the state um, and a lot of local county um, health departments a lot of credit. They, you know, they, they spent a lot of time, they focused in on, you know, this historic vaccine hesitancy and made sure they had people like Freeman Herbowski getting vaccinated in front of people. So um, uh, pillars of the African-American community mm-hmm. to help encourage people to do this. this is what health departments, you know, state and local did. And so polls also can show that, right? They can show you closing the gap. And that's but, so important, right? Because then you're realizing, like you said earlier, it's not hesitancy. We did the things that we needed to do. Now we need to pivot maybe, and maybe it's about excess and equity. Those are the, the kind of things that they need to understand because where you put your resources is really important, especially when they're limited. And, and Dr. Cromer, when it comes to, you know, shaping, you know, understanding the public opinion and, you know, not so much the horse racing, we saw the same thing with police reform, right? And I think we talked to you about that mm-hmm. last time. Those public opinion polls certainly played a role in the policy at the state level. So, I mean, would you agree? Yeah, I mean, listen, I, I don't, I can't get in the head of any single member of the, uh, of the legislature who actually are advocating for this. But I think it, it is uh, a comfort to those um, who are advocating for dramatic changes in public policy to see that the public is, by and large, by their side, that they have done, they've done the effective groundwork, I think, to, 
to, or, or at least the, the sentiment that, um, that things needed to change that they, you know, the public may not know the individual, the, the, the nuances of legislation, but the public can tell you that clearly there's an appetite for police reform. They're not happy with the way things are going and they would be open to the X, Y, and Z changes to the way we do, uh, the way that the police interact with communities. And that's important. It's important for lawmakers to have that information. And I'm, we're always happy to provide that public service uh, to the state. At least that's how, that's how we view our role here in the state. Right. I, I guess as you talk about you know, the, the Goucher poll as an instrument, I think the preeminent instrument of public polling for the state of Maryland, and uh, it can be a guidepost. I think that's an interesting side discussion about don't govern by polls. But at the same time, if polls inform you of what your residents and your constituents think and believe, it would be folly to ignore that. So I, I think there's an interesting balance there. But I'm also, this is something we got into when you were on our podcast before, your, your I think, really aggressive interest in trying to phrase and frame questions fairly so, so that the results are they feel more neutral and reliable and that's not always an easy prospect but issues are not always so clearly defined that everybody agrees that these 13 words are the right way to say <laughs> what the legislature is considering right you have there's some art in that no there really is and it's um and it's the a lot of these uh these policies are just complex and so there there's oftentimes there's issues that I want to ask about or nuances that I want to ask about, but it just doesn't translate over the phone in a public opinion poll. So you have to ask about specific topics, but but within that that framework, they have to be broad enough that the folks can actually express an opinion on. And, and I think the big thing for people to keep in mind, especially for people who would listen to this podcast or really follow the legislature closely, is that you're on ducks. Like you're not the average voter. You're not you're paying attention to the specific details and the average voter just isn't now. But the average voter does have a clear view of what they think is right and wrong. So they understand that police reform needs to happen or they understand that like body cameras, they agree with body cameras or they agree, uh, you know, with what, you know, whatever broadly with this issue. And then I always say, like, I look at public opinion polls like this, that I'm going to try to give you a neutral snapshot of what people think. But it's up to the advocates what they want to do with it. They shouldn't. It's not like it's set in stone. You can move people. You can move their attitudes and opinions. If, if, if you think that the policy is right if, and the public is wrong, it's just your responsibility then to move the public. Right. And you can also try and nail down what part of the policy the public thinks is wrong and try to sway them in that way. But but Dr. Cromer, back to your latest poll, anything else interesting? I know it seems like, you know, forever eons ago, but that's how this pandemic has been from the start, right? So anything else that you found particularly interesting outside of, you know, closing that vaccine hesitancy gap? So we're actually, as we're talking, we're at a really interesting point. So I think it's a, we're at 65% of Maryland adults have now been vaccinated. Um, I think that's what the number was today or yesterday. Um, right. And Governor Hogan, you know, recently announced that once we get to 70% who have at least one dose of Maryland adults, then he's going to lift the mask ban. Um, and what's interesting is that 64% on our, on our February poll, that was the percentage of Maryland adults who were, had either already gotten a shot or were planning on getting a shot as soon as possible. So those are the folks who initially back in, you know, back in February who either already got it or they wanted to get it. 
So that's where we're at right now. I think a lot of the people who either want, who wanted to get it have got it. And now it's about appealing to that next percentage. Like the folks who said, oh, I'm going to wait and see. Then mm-hmm. the 18% who said, I'm going to wait and see. So now it's about like chipping away at those people. So how mm-hmm. many of the wait and sees people have seen enough and they're ready to get vaccinated? Right. And I, and I, I guess what's probably inherent in that split is among among the people who responded to the to the Goucher poll and said, I'm not planning to do this soon. You probably have some people who are in that wait and see category or I want to see, you know, I want to see people around me getting it and I'll be mm-hmm. watching for news reports of, of, you know, difficulties or that sort of thing. But you also, I'm sure, have some people who are fairly deeply embedded and probably unreachable, right? We, we, we know that there are some people who, for whatever reason, they, you know, they're, they're, uh, they're against this vaccine and they have mm-hmm. a paragraph to tell you why. And it's probably not going to be possible to reach some of our neighbors and friends. We have, we have to assume there's some of that, right? Yeah. The next one certainly polls indicate, and you know, I'm not a public health expert and I, and I, I'm not, but from everything that polls have shown, there is certainly an, an immovable percentage of the population. They're, they're just not, they're just not going to get it. Um, they're mm-hmm. afraid of it, or they think that the whole, and if you thought COVID was a hoax, you were not likely to take a free vaccine from the mm-hmm. government. Mm-hmm. Right. So, I mean, these are all these sort of attitudes are tied together. It's interesting because, you know, vaccine hesitancy existed prior to COVID. And I I assume the public health experts were looking at previous polls to sort of figure out what percentage of our population is already hesitant to any vaccine. And we already know that exists. And then we're going to have to deal with the stuff with COVID as well and and sort of the the rumors and and whatnot. And then the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, you know, they, they recalled it for a bit. And that certainly was a challenge, I think, you know, PR wise to explain to people that, hey, there's not a we're just slowing it down to make sure there's not a problem. It's very, very safe. So all of that plays into this. But of course, there are those people there that they weren't going to get it no matter what, because they weren't going to get any vaccine. And I think polling plays a big role in identifying that group prior to even starting an outreach campaign, understanding where you are before COVID and before trying to make sure people get the COVID vaccine. Right. And so what we know now is like the people who are refusing to take it are um, over, uh, more likely to be Republican. They're more likely to be white. And they're, um, there's actually a pretty significant part of the population that are younger Republicans. Um, mm. And so that's, that's a, to me, I think that's a, a group that perhaps uh, we could do a better job targeting to try to change their minds. Um, but you know, at this point, you know, um, some focus groups have found that like trusted the trusted figures in the community, particularly the faith community, are good at convincing people to get the vaccine. The problem is capacity. We're still talking about, you know, hundreds of thousands, millions of people. Individual local doctors, the trusted community members, don't have the time to talk to every single um, hesitant person. Right. <laughs> it just becomes a numbers game. Um, and you hope that we can get at least it up to 70 or 80 percent, at least high enough, that maybe we get to a ballpark of herd immunity, but from all, a lot of other reports from public health experts suggest that we just might not ever get there. And so mm-hmm. that you and I will be taking booster shots um, in the future. Right. And that, that 70% benchmark, that's also one that President Biden set 
before Independence Day. That's the goal is to get 70% of Americans vaccinated. But Dr. Cromer, so we know that there is still vaccine hesitancy out there. We know that it's a problem. We know that it won't be easy for Maryland to get to that 70%. I do think it's interesting that your polling showed about exactly where we are right now, that that was the group that said, as soon as it's available, I'm going to get it. So, uh, you know, other states are dealing with the same issue, right, Dr. Cromer? I'm sure you have colleagues elsewhere. Are are you hearing anything from other states or from your colleagues in in terms of where Maryland is versus other states or regions in the country? Well, just just to clarify, it's like I actually do think that we're going to be able to get to that 70 percent of like first dose adults. But keep in mind that we're changing the denominator a little bit. Now we're opening the vaccine up to 12 to 17 year olds. And we also, mm. the, the, the secondary measure is not just one shot, but for everything, for the Moderna and Pfizer, it's getting the two shots. So there's some, right. there's some gray area in there with the statistics. But, but again, um, to be at least getting to 70% among all adults, the first fact is a great, is a good goal. And let's hope that we can get, you know, obviously get more people to take it. But to your point, what you see now is states doing a bunch of different things in the private industry to just encourage to get there. Like what if you're the the, the folks who are like sitting on the fence, the wait and seers, mm-hmm. like they're waiting and seeing, they're maybe not so much like flat out saying, I'm not going to take it. So it's like nudging those people. And I think the governor of Ohio, and I, you have to respect like the go big or go home is using uh, some of the, the federal funds to do a million dollar lottery if you you get entered into if you get vaccinated, so that is a that is a, a big prize for vaccination. Right, I, I think we're starting to see a, a variety of a sort of incentive style approaches. I mean, a few odds and ends here and there. Some of them coming from the government, and some of them coming from, I guess, civic minded private businesses. But I, maybe that's going to be part of this next frontier. Is some is some of its information and some is guidance from respected figures. I'm seeing advertisements while I watch Jeopardy on TV out of Baltimore, and they've got medical leaders from across Maryland who are part of the messaging. And that seems like it's full of very deliberate coding and assurances. And these are these are the kind of people they're all wearing white lab coats. You trust people like that and that sort of thing. <laughs> so I mean, I, I always find that interesting, but so that's that's got to be the next phase of this is some of this coming from the government and some coming from elsewhere, but some of it will be like worms on the hook, right? Don't we think that's going to be part of what's next? Well, I, I also think like benchmarking is, uh, which is what Hogan has done, is what's next. It's like now trying to present people with clear benchmark. Like if we get to 70%, then you don't have to wear the mask anymore. Mm. And he's not, he's not alone in doing this. Um, Governor Gretchen Whitmer from uh, Michigan did a very, do something very similar. She has a bunch of different, like once we get to 60%, then we can do this. Once we get to 75, you know, and uh, I think that allows people to feel, uh, to feel that they're contributing and that there's actually a goal in reach instead of a more, more of an ambiguous goal. So a, a clear goal and some, ambig- uh, some ambiguity is probably good for motivation. Mm-hmm. But um, there's also like the people, I mean, go- I think the governor gave a hundred dollar, bonuses to state employees you can correct me if i'm wrong here that was one of the things that rolled right. out a hundred dollar bonus right which is 
not not nothing. <laughs> it's a hundred bucks. I mean, yeah, at some point, I guess you get to the point where it's like, okay, money talks. And you mentioned Maryland and West Virginia is giving away savings bonds. New Jersey, oh, right. you get a shot in a beer if you're 21. You get a free beer if you get vaccinated. Free lottery I tickets love, in I Kentucky. Love that That's great. Right, it's great. Right, so you <laughs> know, Maine. Cream. Yeah, Krispy Kreme, Maine. You can get a free hunting fishing license. LL Bean gift cards. I mean, really, everybody's pulling out the stops because money does talk. And, you know, you can have all, all the commercials and have all the public information, but sometimes you got to pay people to get things done. And uh, I think it's worth the money if we can get there, of course. But yeah, Michael, to your point, you see the advertisements, there's people in lab coats. And if you don't trust them, we have your favorite sports stars. We have your favorite public health officials, just about anybody under the sun. It seems like we're trying to get those community members that are trusted and the community members who are embedded into the communities on TV, on radio, explaining to people the importance of doing this. And for those people that still are sitting on the fence, they just aren't motivated, we'll pay you to do it. Or you can get into a million dollar lottery if you get your vaccine. I mean, these are innovative ideas. And I think it's fascinating to see, you know, th this kind of effort happening because we haven't really seen this before. At least I haven't in terms of this kind of an outreach and trying to get people to get the vaccine so we can move forward together. I think Dr. Cromer hit, hit exactly the right point that uh, a lot of people are persuaded by an end goal. And if that end goal is something we appreciate, I, I, I went to a public health seminar not too long ago talking about messaging these issues and phrases like back to normal are among mm -hmm. the things that are not thrilling or sexy, but those are things people really respond to. And I, and I think a decision like Governor Hogan saying, when we get to 70%, we're going to change some of the rules and you all are going to appreciate that. There'll be less masking and more capacity in places we want to go, but we have to get there together. Connecting, do this so we can all enjoy that is probably playing the psychology game really wisely. So, so hats off to the governor and, and to other figures who are thinking and messaging that way. The masks make yeah. people really upset. And so that was, I think for a lot of people, they can't wait to not wear them. Um, mm. you know, and that's, again, that might be motivating. I think it's important. One of the things that polls can show you is that I do, listen, I think there's going to be people who are unmovable. It doesn't matter how many cash prizes you give. It doesn't matter how many fun uh, you know, gimmick you put on this. They're not going to get it. But there is a very movable wait and see part of the population. And the goal should be to get as many of those people who said wait and see into the vaccination club. That's that's the goal. And the good thing about public opinion polls, it can they can tell you a lot about those people. And then hopefully we can um, craft public policy um, and public health outreach around that. So we can, again, we can all enjoy not having to wear masks anymore. So, Dr. Kremer, we've talked some about the, the financial incentives and actually the UCLA COVID-19 Health and Politics Project found that people said they would be more willing to get vaccinated if they were offered cash payments from $25 up to $100. But I guess the question is, if you asked me over the phone whether I'd be more likely to get vaccinated if I got money, I'd say yes. But the ultimate question is, do we know if that is actually translating to actions? Do we have any data that says, yes, those people that said so, we gave them the money and they're actually going through with it? What do you think about that? I'm not sure. Um, I, you know, we, we will be able to test, certainly. Um, the good thing is we'll actually have data for places like Ohio and all these other places that have now sort of these really big public campaigns where you get a prize. They'll be able to track before and after. 
to see if it actually made a difference. I mean, that would be like the, the best thing to do with like a pretest, post-test poll. If you mm-hmm. knew where vaccine, the wait and see was before, you introduced all these different mechanisms to get a prize, and then you could look at the, the hesitancy rate after he's in public opinion. That could certainly paint that picture for you. I'd be interested to see if Maryland does anything else. One of the cool things that Ohio did as well is they offered free tuition and room and board uh, at for the Ohio State University uh, for if you were seven or shoot, twelve to seventeen year olds. That bucket of people, they could win four years paid at hmm. Ohio State. I, I was like, that would not be a great thing to do here in Maryland. Yes. And Michael, you're an Ohioan. I hope that your family members there are entered into this lottery and maybe they'll win a million bucks. Or if they're, you know, if they're younger, they can get a free ride to, to the Ohio State University. Right. I'm, I'm, I've got two adolescent uh, daughters who are soon to be getting their vaccine. And uh, I don't know, maybe we do this on a trip to grandma's house uh, in, in Ohio. I'm not, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if it will affect our behavior. They're getting their shot either way. Uh, but could we be swayed by an incentive? Eh, maybe. Uh, um, <laughs> uh, so actually, I, I want to piggyback on Kevin's question because I, I sort of like this bigger philosophical question. And since we've got you, Dr. Cromer, as the hands-on practitioner in public polling, I, I'm really interested in that question. Like, it, it seems easy. UCLA asked the question, hey, if you got a bag of money, would you do this thing? And a bunch of people say, yes, I'd be more likely if I were handed a bag of money. Okay, so at, at, at what point, I, I wonder, is, the, is there a way to construct useful public polling questions to avoid the almost, like, the almost too obvious answer? Like, to me, I, I almost want to put an asterisk by that UCLA response. I would say, yes, $100 would make me more likely to do almost anything, although I'm not sure that it really would change my behavior, but I'd probably on a phone call tell a post or so. Do you, is that the kind of thing that you worry about in constructing questions to keep them moored to reality so they're you know, relevant? I mean, listen, you would want to make sure that you were clear with the um, with the, um, the amount of money. You wouldn't want to say like, and I know you're just being funny, but like you wouldn't want to say a bag of money, right? You <laughs> be clicker that you mean like a, like a realistic of $25. And then you could ask again about $100. Mm-hmm. But the interesting thing would be is like, you know, maybe you get a little bit of, oh yeah, I, maybe it could sway somebody's response that that's not, that's not a true behavior. But what would be really interesting is to look at the folks who are like, it doesn't matter if you gave me a thousand dollars, I still wouldn't take it. So understanding that would help to me illuminate the folks who are really dug their heels in and would not take the vaccine at all. So then you could up the, like, would you, how about a thousand dollars? Would you do it for a thousand dollars? And then the individuals who would flat out refuse and even at that ridiculously high price point, uh, those are the folks you're not going to be able to move. And right. so they can, it can, so I think that like looking at it that way it actually helps shed some really important light <laughs> on what the, the information the poll can glean. Yeah. I, now I'm intrigued. I want to, I want to break this question down even further. Like I want to do a B testing and say, sure. if the money came <laughs> courtesy of Dunkin' Donuts, as opposed to courtesy of the federal government, would you respond to one of those differently? Like maybe suspicion of government is one of the elements of vaccine hesitation. Mm. And if this were just a, you know, you get a free beer from some company you've heard of, or, 
or you get a free cup of coffee or a bag of donuts or whatever, maybe that goes down more easy than you'll get a government issued check or something. I don't know. It's, I don't know. All this is gratification. I I would, if if it was me, um, I would, and maybe that's just because this is how I am. I would err on the side of like as much instant gratification if I could give people. Like you walk out and you get a $20 bill <laughs> yep. or, or you get, yeah. or you can walk right over to your local bar and get a, a shot in a beer. <laughs> so, and, and I, I really do think, uh, you know, it's that you bring up a really important point in terms of people's hesitancy with the government. This is where the private sector could really step, like people like Krispy Kreme have already done this, could really step in and, you know, it's good for their marketing and then it's also good for public health. Absolutely. Yeah. It is. It's, it's, it is fascinating. And people like free stuff. We know that. So we'll see, hopefully that the numbers continue to tick up and, and Dr. Cromer, why we have you again, and it's a pivot a little bit away from COVID and maybe along the lines of what Michael was asking in terms of polling and, and actual results, we see a lot of general government ballot questions. And, and oftentimes people vote yes. And there's a lot of talk about, you know, how the the questions are written and do people understand. But I'm interested in knowing just because we've gone through an election cycle and counties had a lot of general government questions, the state did as well. Have you seen any bias toward people just voting yes for those questions? And and maybe they don't want to read the whole thing, but but is there an, an inherent bias just to say yes to something? Even if maybe you don't understand it, if it's just on a ballot in front of you, you're there because you want to vote for A, B, C, D. But then, you know, there are these questions here, too. Do you have you found that people are more likely just to say yes or vote yes in a poll or in, in actually the voting booth? Well, that's I mean that's the biggest problem with some of the ballot um, initiatives, um, not just here but obviously across the country. Um, it's that they're they're lengthy and most voters don't don't show up with you know have, having read them beforehand. And there's a kind of a push to get your vote in and then get out of the voting booth. And so, right, I think that there certainly is a bias um, to go ahead and vote for those vote for those things. That's why you have to have these really strong public advocacy campaigns to explain or boil down that language to you know really clear like what does a vote for or a vote against mean. That's to me. That to me is like I I love the idea of that direct democracy that people come in and they vote directly for a you know um, a law or a bill that's going to affect them or um, or mm-hmm. a bond. But the right. problem is that people, by and large, I mean, sometimes they're, they're not spending the time to sort of read it. And on, on the on the back end, they're written in a way that I think that a lot of people, or they're, it's confusing for people. And I, I, I'm, I'm not going to say that's done on purpose, but it's right. it's it's confusing. It's really tough for it's tough for voters under those circumstances to read something and really fully consider it. It's probably also an area where the the decline in prominence of truly local media is having an effect. I, I mean, I feel like growing up, you could count on the nearest you know, daily newspaper to, to give you a voter's guide. And here are the five things in your area that are going to be up for a question. We recommend one through four all pass, but number five, here's why you should vote against it. And that would end up being a big deal. But there was a pan, like an editorial committee who sat down and made those evaluations and did some of the research that we know, you know, mm-hmm. we rank and file voters don't always do. Um, that's probably a, a, an increasingly lost element as true local media just has a smaller presence than it once did. This is a bigger question than polling, but it seems on the point. 
Me, certainly. And so you have like still like media organizations like The Sun do the big state initiatives. Mm-hmm. But you're right. I mean, there's not there not everybody weighs in on what's going on in Howard County. And and why and that's you're right. And that leaves us big dirt that we don't have the information to make these these informed decisions. That's uh, that's why I'm like I'm sort of I, again, I like the idea of representative democracy in theory, but sometimes in pra- uh, excuse me, the, the idea of the direct democracy in theory, but in practice I think these ballot initiatives can be problematic. Mm. Uh, for, yeah, some, for some things, not everything, but for some things, there. Yeah. Uh, sometimes the issue is really complex, and I'm not sure people are really taking the time to really consider their options. Yeah. So, Dr. Cromer, we, I think we we lured you a little bit into talking about vaccine issues, which is sort of the the topic of the day and the issue of the moment. Uh, but it, had we had you on while you were doing your your big media parade back in March, I guess, um, I'm sure you had a bunch of sort of above the fold takeaways from the last Goucher poll. And our listeners are probably uh, interested in a variety of things. Many of them, I'm sure, have seen the last polling data. But anything you'd like to share just broadly about like a governor's approval rating is always fun. Any of these horse racy kind of things, anything Anything interesting in the opinion on like legalization of cannabis, something that we've been yeah. watching for a while? Any of that stuff interesting? Well, listen, I, I pointed this out you know, back in March. We are at two thirds now of Marylanders support, support the legalization of recreational cannabis. Hmm. Uh, it's a high watermark. It's the highest we've ever measured it. Uh, it it's reflective of what we see uh, nationwide. Um, um, and some of the states who have actually passed it into law um, their approval rating, their support was a little bit lower than ours. So Maryland has, has like this weird situation where we have r- really, really high support in the state, but we're sort of not quite there yet in terms of the legislation. Um, and um, obviously we see Virginia and uh, New Jersey, right, moving right along, trying to get their plans into place. Uh, I mean, obviously you'll, you'll talk to lawmakers about this, but I expect that next legislative session, this will be a really big issue. Yeah, no doubt about uh, it. And yeah, it, I, think I guess so. the question becomes, do you just pass a bill or do you put it on the ballot? And, you know, that that's the decision that they're going to have to make in the legislature. It's a complicated issue for sure. There are a lot of moving parts. But, yeah, Maryland behind a little bit, Virginia, New Jersey, several other states. Same thing with 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 sports wagering. Right. I mean, we have mm-hmm. a bill that was just passed, but we were a little bit behind to implement that as well. So. Sort of behind the eight ball there, but the public polling certainly uh, makes clear that Marylanders support legalization of recreational cannabis for adults. And Michael, to your point earlier, if we would have had Dr. Cromer on in March, we, we never would have been able to book Dr. Cromer in March. I mean, every time I turn on the TV, <laughs> there she is. I mean, she's on every every radio station, every TV station. Uh, she's she's a big get. So I would have loved to, but um, we're happy to have you in May, Dr. Cromer, and, and we really appreciate your time today. This is a super, super important issue when it comes to understanding hesitation and understanding where those pockets of people maybe are so that you can reallocate resources to make sure they get vaccinated, understand the importance of getting vaccinated. And then also maybe you have to offer some incentives to them. And all of that can be found through public opinion polling. And and, and it's great to, to get your perspective on that. We really appreciate it. Can I just say one more thing really quickly? Because you brought up the ballot initiatives. Of course. Something like recreational marijuana um, is a little bit of a different bird in terms of the, uh, the ballot initiative issue. It's people have an opinion on the legalization of recreational cannabis. 
So when that appears on the ballot, on a ballot issue, people understand or have a better idea of what they're voting for or against. Um, and they'll, and then, also have a large public advocacy campaign around it. So you're going to have folks on both sides trying to educate the public. My sort of, my, my hesitancy with ballot initiatives and ballot referendum are the ones that people haven't heard anything about until they've stepped into the, the voter booth. So oh, it's not sure. so much these really big ticket ones like this. For sure. And cannabis, I mean, that may be the reason for many people that they're actually showing up to vote. I mean, that may be the only reason. And you're right. There'll be a, an advocacy campaigns on both sides of the issue. I think we saw this with slots, right, where, you know, you saw just endless commercials for and against. So people will certainly be aware of what's going on. That won't be one of the ones that, that doesn't get coverage. But but yeah, I agree with you. Some of the some of the local stuff maybe is a little bit wordy and it can get a little wonky and those are difficult. But an issue like this, I mean, if you pass it on the ballot, you get a little bit of cover because at least the voters approved it and you didn't just do it in the legislature. We have seen states do it through a bill, but most of the time these are ballot initiatives. So I'm interested to see and it, it should be fascinating as we as we lead up to the next election cycle. And I'm sure the Goucher poll is going to be gauging our opinions moving forward. Dr. Cromer, when is your, your next poll due? We will be out in September. So sometime in, we'll be in the field in like mid to early September, and we'll release some that the third or fourth week in September, we'll probably release another poll. I'm going to try to not do a horse race because I should know better. Um, it's way too early for a horse race, even um, for the, the gubernatorial primaries. But it's like it's one of those things that, like I say, I shouldn't do. But yeah, it becomes yeah. so tempting. <laughs> See, I know because people like you, you know, everybody encourages me, and I'm, ugh, I can't help myself. <laughs> I, it's, it's really. I mean, I keep on telling. I do. I tell myself again and again and again, I'm not going to do it. It's too early. And then I just, I sit there and I, I just can't not do it. It's terrible. <laughs> no self control. Well, I mean, yes, I would love to, to see that data. So I am officially on the record encouraging all of those first race <laughs> questions, but also okay. the more important questions as we get through the summer, maybe, you know, people's opinions change a bit on the on the public health uh, spectrum and where we are. So it'll be fascinating to see that. Of course, we'll link all of that information on the show notes and on our blog. Michael, any closing thoughts before we let Dr. Cromer get out of here? Well, we're, we're grateful to have your time. And I'll state it was two or three weeks ago, we floated to our listeners, okay, we're, we're getting out of the legislative session and we get a little more freeform with our podcast. What do you want to hear? Do you want to hear more guests or do you want us to you know, do policy topics and so forth? And if I'm sifting through our feedback correctly, our listeners want good guests, including you by name. And that's great to have that's you really back. Um, and they also want us to stay nerd friendly. So um, apparently that's kind of our brand. So like a little bit of these probing questions about the nature of polling and so forth, where we're trying to understand the lane we're in. But thanks for playing ball with some, some of our, you know, dig, dig a little deeper stuff. Uh, really appreciate having you as a guest today. I appreciate it. I feel like I'm very on brand for the winning a little bit nerdy podcast thing. So that's great. <laughs> yes. Thank you so much, Dr. Cromer. And as always, if you enjoy the podcast, please go ahead and subscribe. You can also follow along on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and then of course, the Conduit Street blog. But for Dr. Cromer and Michael Sanderson, this is Kevin Canale signing off, and we will talk to you soon. <laughs>